How many of you brought your Bible this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building this morning? And I want you to join me in the Old Testament this morning on page number 752 if you have an old Schofield Bible or the book of Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 or 752 in the old Schofield Bible. Now if you'll just shut your Bible and open it up right in the middle, you should be about the book of Psalms. And if you'll go three or four books to the right, you're going to run into the book of Isaiah and we're in chapter 43, and I'm going to ask you now to follow me and look with me at the Bible this morning to be sure that I'm telling you what's right. I would never knowingly stand up here and preach something that, that uh, wasn't right, but I want you to check behind me. You know, the Bible said to prove all things and then hold fast that which is good. And so I want you to prove it this morning, and I want to share a thought with you from the Word of God. Again, it is so good to have you on the first Sunday morning. I hope you'll make it your ambition this year, your desire to be faithful each and every service to the house of God today. All right, don't forget this afternoon at 530, we're looking forward to having a good time together in God's house this afternoon. Well, Isaiah chapter 43, if you have your Bible and if you're open there, would you say amen? amen. All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. As of this past Friday uh, morning at 12 o'clock, all of us were presented with a brand spanking new year. You know, 2021, I guess, is the year that we have all been eagerly anticipating, and it's now upon us. In fact, as we sit here in this auditorium this morning, this year, that we're in is now what, 34, is that right, 34 hours and uh, uh, 24 minutes, maybe a little longer into this brand new year. Can I ask you this morning, have you made any resolutions for the new year? I read this week about this one person who said their new year's resolution was to take down their Christmas lights by Easter. Boy, that'd be a good resolution for this year. Another one said this, my New Year's resolution this year is to conserve water. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do less, less laundry and I'm going to wear more deodorant. That's a good one. What about this one? Another lady said last year, her New Year's resolution last year was to drop 10 pounds and as she began this brand new year, she said she's only got 15 more pounds to go. Boy, that sounds like a lot of Baptists that I know. Somebody else said this. Their New Year's resolution was to quit all the bad things that they were doing. But then they got to thinking, nobody likes a quitter. <laughs> but here's my favorite one. One man said this. His New Year's resolution was to gather up all the 2020 calendars and burn them. Amen. And amen. You know, the New Year's is the time that we all like to make some adjustment, adjustments to our life. And I don't think there's a person in here that will disagree with me when I say that, you know, there are some things that we could all do better, especially when it comes to serving the Lord. I think most of you will say amen when I say uh, this, this statement this morning. The majority of us last year put our spiritual lives on autopilot and just tried to survive last year. If you agree with that, would you say amen? You know, most of us just, just spiritually coasted through last year. And I get it. You know, there was a lot that happened last year, a lot of trouble and turmoil in people's lives. And I'm not saying it's right, but most of us last year probably didn't do a whole lot for the Lord. 
But this morning, I want to break with the annual message that we normally hear at this particular time of the year. You know, normally I stand up here on the first Sunday of this year, and I normally preach about, man, let's do better for the Lord this year than we did last year. You know, this is normally the Sunday that I get up behind the pulpit and I challenge all of us to, to turn it up a little bit, a little bit spiritually, to come to church more faithfully, to pray more, to give more, to get involved more, to live better, to do right. You know, and, and I challenge you in all those, those, all those areas. But this morning, that's not what this message is about. In fact, this morning, I'm not preaching about what we need to do for the Lord. This morning, I want to preach to you about what the Lord wants to do for us in the year 2021. Now, I had you to open your Bible this morning from the, uh, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. And if you'll look with me, I want to show you what God wants to do for His people in this brand new year. So join me, if you will, in verse 19. And God says this. Here's the very first thing I want to do for my people this year. I want to do something new for them. Look at verse 19. Behold, God says, I will do a new thing. Now, of course, we like the old-time way. Now, if i got to stop and do my own amening and my own preaching, I'm going to have to get a raise, and we're going to be here a little bit longer because I'm going to have to multitask, you know, preach and then amen. So let me say it like this. We like the old-time way around here, don't we? We do. But God says in that old way, I want to do a new thing for you. I want to do something new for you this year. God wants to do something new in his people. And God wants to do something new for his people. And God wants to do something new to his people. And God wants to do something new among his people. God said, I don't want this to be another business as usual year. I don't want this just to be another ho-hum year spiritually for my people. God said, I want to do something new for you this year. Then he goes on to say this again in verse 19. He said, I want to do something that's going to spring forth. That sounds like to me, that's something that's got new life. God said, I want, to, I want to do something that's going to just spring forth among you. He goes on to say there in verse number 19, I want to, I want to give you some rivers in the desert. Now, I'll tell you something. A good word to describe last year was 2020 was a desert year. It was dry as dust. There wasn't a whole lot happening, a whole lot going on. But God said, this is a new year, and I want to I cause some rivers to run through the, through the floors of the desert. In other words, God said, I want to produce some new life among you. Then he goes on to say in verse number 20, at the last phrase there, he says, I want to give waters in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my people, my chosen people. And then in verse 21, he said this, I want to do something that's so amazing. I want to do something that's so supernatural. It's going to cause my people to rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but just hearing the sound of all that, kind of sounds like something that I'm interested, interested in. That, that just this saying that, something new. Something that's going to cause the rivers to run through dry places. Something that's going to cause my people to praise me. Ladies and gentlemen, can I say this? I'm raising my right hand. I'm saying amen because I'm for that. I want something new 
this year. Now, all that I've just told you is very positive. But with all the positivity of verse 19, 20, and 21, we come to the negativity of verse 22. In other words, here's what God said. Hey, I want to do something new. God said, hey, 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 I want to cause some refreshment to run in dry places. God said, I want to, I want to, I want to cause my people, I want to do something so great, so marvelous, so out of the ordinary that my people are going to not be mistaken that I've done it. They're going to praise me. And then God says, but. God says, you're going to have to be willing to let me do that. In other words, can I say it like this? A lot of times, a lot of times our unwillingness prohibits God from doing what he's so willing to do. So this morning, I want to preach on this subject right here. I want to preach on that thought, when God gets tired. When God gets tired. Now, I know right up front you're probably saying, Brother Tim, you've lost your cotton-picking mind. You know, it's one thing to lose your mind, but when you lose your cotton-picking mind, that's just raising it up on steroids just a little bit. And probably some of you are sitting there thinking, Preacher, God don't get tired. And I agree with you because we have verses like this in our Bible. Psalms 121, verse number, uh, verse number 3, He that keepeth thee will not slumber. The next verse says, He that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. I mean, we serve a God that never, ever has to sleep, never, ever gets weary, has to lay down, take a nap. That's how fresh and new our God is. But then I have the audacity to stand up here on this first Sunday morning of this brand new year and look you and I and tell you, boy, God's getting tired. But I didn't say it. God said it. Look in our text this morning, Isaiah 43. Look at the last phrase of verse 24 where God says this, because of your sins you have wearied me. You know what God is saying? God is saying, hey, I want to do some great things for you, something new, something great, something wonderful, something mighty, something marvelous. But I tell you, y'all about to wear me out with your sins. Y'all were wearing me down. I'm just getting tired of what is going on amongst my people. So let me just say this. If God is going to do something new among us this year, God's going to have to deal with us and cleanse us from our defilement, from our defilement. You see, our sins limit, or could I say it like this? Our unbelief, our sins puts handcuffs on God. And God can't do what God wants to do. We limit God sometimes because of our iniquities, because of our unbelief. We limit the new things that God wants to do for us. And God said, hey, let's just make one, let me just get one thing clear right up front. I will do something this year that's just going to make last year look just ridiculous. I'm going to do something great this year. But you're going to have to be willing to let me. And we're going to have to deal with some stuff that's going on in your life. I read this week, uh, I was reading this week about a little animal that we don't really know a whole lot about here in North America. But it's a little animal called an ermine. And I happen to put a picture up on the screen. That's what an ermine looks like. Now, leave it up there, guys. Let me tell you a little story behind this little animal that's called an ermine. Its coat is very, very valuable, especially back there in the days of the monarchy of the Empire of England. Because that little animal, the fur of that little animal, was the fur of choice for the kings and the queens of England. 
But really what makes that little animal so unique is that because of its nature, they have coined a phrase around that little, that little animal. If you were to look it up on Wikipedia or whatever, look up the ermine, one of the things that's associated with that little animal is this little phrase that goes like this, death before defilement. Death before defilement. You see, that ermine has a brilliant white coat. And because it's so sought after for royal use, the way they used to catch these ermines was really, it was really unusual. What they would do is they would go and they would find the holes of the ermines and they would take defilement, dirt, muck, sometimes animal refuge, and they would place it around the hole of the ermine. Then they would set their dogs loose in the field and those dogs would begin to chase those ermine and they'd chase them all the way back to their holes, to their dens. But the ermine, because of its brilliant white coat, coat, and because of its nature, would not go through the muck and the mire to get back into the den, and it became an easy prey. It was caught and killed simply because it chose death over defilement. In other words, that little ermine had rather die than be corrupted. You know, would to God that was, our, uh, that was our desire in these days, that you and I would desire, so desire that we might live in such a pure way and a good way on the sight of God that we would choose death over defilement. You know, one of, the, one of the analogies that God uses to describe his people or what he does for his people when they get saved, over in the book of Revelation especially, we read that God's people were standing there and they washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. So in other words, when you and I get saved, God takes off of us our dirty, defiled clothes of our sin, and God instead places upon us the white, regal, royal robes of the righteousness of His own Son. But my question to you is this. Have you defiled your robe? Is your robe dirty and spotted in this, in this, in this world? And God looks at us this morning and says, okay, I want to do great things. I want to do something new. I want to do something amazing. But we're going to have to clean your coat up just a little bit. We're going to have to get rid of some of this dirt and defilement in your life. If you are going to be a candidate for all that I want to do for you this year, there's going to have to be some cleansing. So I want you to join me in this text this morning. And I want to point out three things from this text and try to pull it home to where we're at in this day. First of all, I want you to notice number one in this text. I want to talk a little bit, number one, about the, number one, the gross neglect of God's people. The gross neglect. You see, you can't read this text that we're in this morning without coming to the understanding that God's people had totally neglected their relationship with God. It's almost like they just set God down and forgot about Him. It's almost like they had just distanced themselves from the Lord. In fact, if you look in this text, look at verse number, uh, verse number 22. The Bible said this, God said, Thou hast not called upon me, Verse number 23, God said, Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings. Verse number 24, Thou hast brought me no sweet cane with money. So there you got it. There's the three C's they weren't doing. They weren't, there was no call, there was no cattle, and there was no cane. You say, Preacher, what does all that mean? Well, call is obvious. 
God said, thou hast not called upon me. First of all, these people had totally forsaken their relationship with God. They just even quit praying to God. They were, they were not calling on God. And then the, the word cattle refers to the thanksgiving offering. So not only were they not praying, but number two, they were not praising God. And then if you look at verse 24, this Cain offering was associated with money. So they were not only not praying and not praising, they weren't paying I mean, they had totally set God aside. They had just forgotten all about the Lord. You know, you and I fuss about atheists, and we should. I'm talking about this crowd that runs all over our nation and says, hey, hey, look, there's no God. There is no God, and we fuss about that. But let me tell you what's doing more damage to the church than the atheists are, and that's people who sit in our churches that say, oh, yeah, there is a God, but then they go out every day of their life, and they live like he doesn't even exist. Can I have an amen? There's more than one kind of an atheist. Sure, there's a philosophical atheist who says there's no God, but what bothers me is not those philosophical atheists. It's them practical atheists who says, yeah, there's a God, but then they go out here in this world and they live like there is no God. Amen. And I wonder how many people sit right here in this room this morning, and that pretty much sums up your life for last year. You know, there are several legal terms that we use in our society today that I think we could probably pull from the legal field and put them in the spiritual field. See if you don't agree with this. Have you ever heard this term before, alienation of affection? You've heard that before. You usually hear that when they're trying, somebody's trying to get a divorce and dissolve a marriage. And so they go to court and they say, all right, what, why are y'all getting divorced? And somebody will speak up and say, because of alienation of affection. What that means is they quit loving that person like they were supposed to and they started loving somebody else or something else instead of the person they were supposed to be loving and they alienated them from their affection. That's the legal term. I wonder how many people sit in this auditorium and last year you alienated God from your affection. Hey, what about this one, dereliction of duty? You heard that one before? That simply means something that you were supposed to do that was expected of you, but you didn't do it. Dereliction of duty. That's another legal term that can be brought into the spiritual realm because how many of us sit in this room and there were things we know we should have done last year, but we just did, and God expected us to do it, but we didn't do it last year. We were derelict in our duty. We were alienated in our affection. And then what about this term, gross negligence? That means something that we uh, we're just become very careless about, very nonchalant about. And I wonder how many people sit right here in this room this morning, and as far as your relationship with God, you alienated God from your affection. You, dare, you were derelict in your duty. You didn't do what God wanted you to do. And then number three, you were grossly negligent in your relationship with God, very cold, very calloused, and you just forgot all about God last year. And God simply says, you didn't call, you didn't come. <laughs> That's not in here, but I was through that one in. But you didn't call. There was no call. There was no cattle. There was no cane. There was no prayer. There was no praise. There was no payment. I mean, it's like you just totally forgot all about me last year. And I get it. Boy, it was a tough year last year. Many of you faced death in your family. 
Many of you lost your job because of COVID. Many of you got sick that last year. And I get all that. There were so many things that were piling in upon us in one year's time. And man, there was so much pressing down on us. But too many of us distance ourselves from God last year. And God said, hey, I want to do something new for you this year. Hey, I want, to, I, want to, I want to stir you up. Hey, I want you to praise me. Hey, I want to cause some rivers to run in your dry life spiritually. I want to help you. But God said, but I'm going to have to deal with some stuff in your life. I'm going to help you. They were grossly negligent in their life. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know really what their problem was? By the way, verse 24, God said this, Thou hast wearied me with mine, thine iniquities. And I like the phrase before that. Look at the phrase right before it. It says this, Thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. God said, This is the way you've treated me. And in Forsyth County language, what he's saying is, And you expect me just to put up with it. You completely set me aside, completely ignored me, completely, completely distanced yourself to me, and you expect me to sit up here in heaven and say that's okay. And it's not okay. And buddy, it's time this year that we do something different for God. God wants to do a new thing in our life. So number one, they're, they, the, the gross neglect of God's people. But I want you to see number two, I want you to see this, not only the gross neglect, but I want you to see the great negotiation. Because if you look now, God has said, okay, here's what's wrong. I want to do this, but you don't want me to do it. So God comes down to verse number 26, and God begins to plead with his people. And he says, okay, tell me what I've done to cause you to forget about me. I want to hear it. God said, just come here, tell me about it. Tell me what I've done so bad to you that causes you not to want anything to do with me. Now, I read to you in our text where in verse number 24, God said, you're wearying me. But can I show you that before God ever said, I'm getting tired of y'all, look back up into verse number 22. The people were saying, God, we're getting tired of you. Look at verse 22. The Bible said, but thou... O Jacob, thou hast been weary of me. Before God ever said, I'm getting tired of y'all, you know what they were saying? God, we're tired of you. How many people do you know that's like that? How many people do you know that dropped out of church last year and inwardly, not outwardly, they were, outwardly they were saying, man, I hate, I can't go to church. Inwardly they're saying, whoopee! I'm so tired of going to church anyway. I'm glad we get a break from it. God help us. What, have we, what has God done to us to cause us to look up in heaven and say, God, we're tired of it. We're tired of you. We're tired of church. We're tired of Bible. We're tired of living right. God, we're just up to here with you. What in the world has God done to us to cause us to look up to heaven and say, we're just tired of it all. So God comes to verse 26 and said, okay, put me in remembrance. Look at verse 26. Put me in remembrance. Hey, let's plead together. Let, let me put that for side kind of language. Let's talk about this. Declare thou. God said, come on, tell me. Tell me your excuses. Why hasn't there been no prayer? Why hasn't there been no cane? Why hasn't there been no cattle? Why hasn't there been something going on spiritually in your life? What have I done to you to cause you to check out on me? 
What have I done to you that's caused you just to set me aside and forget all about me? God said, come on, tell me. I'm just going to open the floor up. You tell me. What's God done to us to cause us to forget about him? What's God done to us to cause us to turn aside from him toward the world? What's God done to us to cause us to throw, our, throw him aside and, and pursue sin and go after things that's totally against it? What's he done? Come on, God said, tell me. Offer it up. Justify yourself. Give me an excuse. What are your excuses? What's God done to you? I want you to hear me and hear me well. I got a book, and I brought it with me this morning, and the title of this book is 101 Things That God Has Done For You. And I'm not going to read them all. But in the table of contents, here's what it says. God, Jesus, gives us a clean slate. Jesus loves us. Jesus saves us. Jesus makes us his children. Jesus makes us overcomer. He heals us from the sickness of our sin. Jesus gives us unlimited strength. Jesus gives our life purpose and meaning. Jesus gives us joy. He gives us hope. He gives us peace. He provides for all of our need. He gives us victory. He blesses us beyond our wildest imagination. He gives us the gift of his presence. Jesus gives us rest. He brings us into a family of believers. Jesus brings us near to God. Jesus frees us from fear. Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus takes care of all of our problems and pain. Jesus makes us holy. Jesus rescues us from a life of sin. Jesus gives us access to the through, the true and the living God. Jesus gives us eternal life. Jesus meets with us. Jesus uh, quenches our deepest thirst. He accepts us. He he calls us friends. He brings us healing. He, he hears our prayers. He takes care of us. And on and on and on I could go after all he's done for us. How can we say, we're done with you, God? How in the world can we say, God, we're fed up to, with it. We're tired of you. God in heaven, help us. And if you'll notice in verse number 27 and 28, there's not one excuse they offer up from forsaken God. You know why? Look at me. There are no excuses. There are. There's no excuse when a person turns their back on God and walks away from God. And God said, let's, let's plead. Justify yourself. Come on, tell me, what have I done? There are no excuses. God has been nothing but good to his people. God has done nothing but love us and care for us and keep us safe. And thank God still alive this morning. God's done all that for us. How in the world can we set him up on a shelf and act like he don't even live or exist? How in the world can we turn our back on him and walk away from him? And, 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 and there are absolutely no excuses. So we have the gross neglect, the great negotiation. Now, it's been rough this far, hasn't it? I mean, let's just face it. A lot of us in this room, and I said us, and I keep saying us, because I'm including myself. But when I look back over 2020, I don't see anything I've done for God. I don't know about y'all, but I was excited, just excited to be back in church. <laughs> I was glad to be back here. But as far as looking back and saying, man, I, I did this, I did this, I did that, I did that. Boy, it was a great spiritual year for me. I'll tell you what, I was one big zero with the rim knocked off last year. And I think most of us, if we, if, if we were honest, you'd say, you know something, preacher? You're right. Man, I, was, I flopped last year. I was a failure. Preacher, just to be honest with you, I stunk it up last year. 
Preacher, I'll tell you what, I can't look back over 2020 and find one thing that I did for God. Not one. Not one. That's pretty rough. Maybe that describes your prayer life. Maybe your prayer life's falling off. Maybe you're, maybe you're witnessing. Quit. Maybe, maybe you quit giving. I, I don't know, but maybe, maybe this year, it's just last year has been a terrible year. You just set God aside. Well, I want you to see number three, the gross neglect, the great negotiation. But I'm glad I closed the message this morning with some good news. What is the good news? Well, I, I told you several years ago about this Christmas program that was getting ready to take place. You know, most Baptist churches do this with their children. During Christmas season, they'll have a Christmas program. They'll have a bunch of angels come out, Mary and Joseph, a little baby lying in the manger, and they'll give all the little angels a speaking part. You know, they, one of them will say this, and then the next one will pick up, and they'll, they'll have little parts to play. Well, this one Christmas program was going on, and they'd got all the angels, selected them all, and they gave them all their parts to say. And one little boy, his part to say was, Behold, I bring you good tidings. That's all he had to say. Behold, I bring you good tidings. Boy, he memorized that over and over and over again. He'd say it to his mama. I mean, he is getting ready for the big night. Behold, I bring you good tidings. One day he asked his mama, he said, Mama, what is that good tidings? Tidings, what does that mean? She said, Honey, what it really means is, you know, I bring you good news. Oh, he said, Oh, I got it. So it come the night of the Christmas program, and the place was packed. Grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, first cousins. I mean, everybody filled that place, and now marched them angels. They were standing there around the, uh, the, the, the manger scene, and one by one, the little angels began to say their part, and it come to this little boy. And for the life of him, he could not remember his line. That, I mean, he'd got stage fright. He was shaking. He couldn't remember. And then it popped in his mind what his mama said. And here's what he said. Man, have I got some good news for you. <laughs> and as I close this first Sunday morning message of a brand new year, man, have I got some good news for you. You see, maybe you did stink it up. Like, maybe we did stink it up last year. Maybe last year, Man, I'll tell you what, it didn't a whole lot happen. Maybe last year was a year of just one colossal failure. I got some good news. Look at verse 25. Here's what he says to us. I, even I. Now, I like that part where God said, if God would have just said I and went on with the rest of the verse. But God said, no, I won't double down on this. I, even I. I want you to know I'm not leaving this up to some angel. I want you to know I'm not leaving this up to anybody else. I, even I, am going to take care of this. And then he goes on to say this, verse 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. So you stuck it up last year. So you laid an egg last year. So you didn't do anything for God last year. Good news. This good news is found in the fact of God's forgiveness. God said there in verse 25, I will blot out thy transgressions. I like that word blotteth out. It means to absolve. It means to wipe away. It means to, to put out. It means to destroy. God said, okay, you stuck it up big time. All right, won't you just pick all that failure up? Come to me. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Hey, I'm going to 
do away with it. I'm going to absolve it. I'm going to, I'm going to absolutely just blot out everything that happened last year. When I was growing up, one of the famous toys of my age, and I'm, 50, I'm uh, 58 now, and one of the famous, I just had a birthday, and I have to stop and think about it now, but uh, one of the famous toys when I was growing up was an Etch-a-Sketch. I don't know if they still have them or not, but they, thank you, they do have them. You might well go out and buy you one this afternoon. But you had the two knobs, and there was a little black thing. They're probably far advanced now than they were back then, but that little thing would start moving up through there, and you could move it and maybe write your name or draw a picture. But if you ever messed up, all you had to do is pick it up, shake it. It was all cleared out. Start all over again. I mean this in the most reverent way, but aren't you glad we have an Etch-a-Sketch God? Aren't you glad that when we fail and we let God down and we mess up, aren't you glad God, by His grace, when we confess, picks us up and gives us a brand new screen? I say there's some good news on the basis of the fact of God's forgiveness, but there's also good news on the basis of God's forgetfulness. Look again at verse 25. I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. So here's what happens. So we come to the altar this morning and, uh, and we say, God laid an egg. Boy, I failed you last year. I let you down, Lord. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I want to ask you to cleanse me and forgive me. And God said, okay. Okay. Here's 2021, brand new slate. Go ahead, start over again. And then tomorrow, the devil jumps on our back and says, man, you laid an egg last year. Devil, you know something, you're right. God, I want to ask you to forgive me for what I've done last year. And God said, what are you talking about? You know, God, what I did last... God said, I've done forgot about all that. That's done. It's over. Forget about it. Move on. Good news. I was reading uh, this. Uh, I was so excited Thursday night to see 2021 come. Me and my wife, my wife fixed a big meal. We had chicken wings and tater tots. And we had, uh, we had grapes to dip in that real sweet stuff. It was white, like marshmallow. We had, uh, oh man, we had a good meal. And so our, we, what we was going to do is we was going to sit up for the first time in years, and we won't welcome in the new year. That's right. I normally like to watch it on TV, but they always drop the ball. <laughs> so we were going to sit up. Well, about 11 o'clock, I'm on the couch. <laughs> she says, wake up. Only one hour to go. I said, honey, let's go to bed. And we went to bed and didn't even watch it. But I was so excited. But I got to reading about customs all over the world, about how people welcome in the new year. Now, Miss Janet Lyons and Brother JT were missionaries in Spain for a year. And they have an unusual tradition over in Spain that they do to welcome in the new year. So what they do is when the clock strikes 12, you know, there are 12 dongs. And, and, and what you got to do, if you can eat 12 grapes by the time of the 12th dong, you're going to have a great year. So what you do is you start on the first dog. And, and what I'm told to do is you bite it in half and then swallow it. But not many people can get down 12 grapes in 12 dongs. 
But that's what they do in the country of Spain. Then I read this over in the country of Germany. This is a good one. I might try this sometime, but over in Germany, they'll get a piece of metal or whatever, and they'll melt it down like over a candle. And then they'll take one drop of it and drop it into a glass of cold water. And then they watch the shape that that melted metal begins to form. And if it forms in, in a ball, that means you're going to have a good year of, of luck. If it forms like in a crown, it makes it form a crown. That means wealth's coming your way. If it makes a cross, look out. Somebody's getting ready to die. And then if it makes a form of a star, that means this coming year is going to be a year of happiness. That's what they do in Germany. I thought about Denmark. I read about Denmark. This is unusual. But over in Denmark, here's what they do. At midnight, New Year's Eve on, uh, in Denmark, they go to their neighbor's house and they throw cups and plates at their neighbor's door and bust them. And, and here's, what the, here's what they say. The bigger the mess you've got to get up the next morning, the better your year's going to be. That's right. And then listen to this. Over in Ecuador, they burn scarecrows at 12 o'clock on New Year's night. So they, they get anything that, 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 that links them to unhappiness in the previous year, they stuff it in a scarecrow and they set the sucker on fire and burn him up, signifying we're done with that. It's on to the new. But then in Italy, and this is my favorite one, in Italy at midnight, the streets are quiet. And all of a sudden, as the clock strikes 12, people throw open their windows, and anything in their house that reminds them of anything unhappy, they chunk out the window onto the streets below. Couches, toasters, coffee pots. Might be a good time to go pick up some junk, you know. Use it. One man's junk's another man's treasure. But that's what they do in Italy. But now, I told you all I'd tell you this. Why don't we do something at Woodland this morning? We've just barely opened this new year. And God said, man, I want to do something new. Man, I want to do something great and marvelous and amazing. I want to, I want to you, you know, your dry spiritual life. God said, I want to cause a river to run right down the middle of it. God said, I want to do something that's going to cause you to praise me. I want to do all of this, but... You've got to be willing to let me. You've got to get that defilement, that junk out of your life. You can't have my blessings. You can't hang on to me and hang on to your junk with the other hand. If you want me to do something new, I'll do it. But give me your junk. So this morning, the invitation is this. Hey, why don't we make a trip to the altar on the very first Sunday, the first service of a brand new year, and bring all that failure from last year. Lay it right here on this altar. Give it to God. Get up and go back to your seat. He's done forgot about it. And let Him do a new thing in your life in 2021. Amen. How many of y'all with me? Something new. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you'd work in our hearts.